Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the space and help lead the charge towards a more decentralized web. everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm Diana Chen, your host, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Brad Cam, one of the co-founders at Unstoppable Domains, as well as our guest today, Haider Rafiq, the Global Chief Marketing Officer at OKCoin. Before I bring Haider in, I have a very exciting and special announcement to make. As of today, Unstoppable Domains is integrated with OKCoin, which means that you can now send and receive cryptocurrency on OKCoin using your unstoppable domain. I'm very excited for this improvement in UX for users and also very excited to be working with OKCoin. And with that, let's bring on our guest today. Hey, Hyder, how's it going? Hey there. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. So why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit more about OKCoin? So OKCoin, uh, I think folks who've been in crypto for a while, uh, are familiar with the name. Uh, the exchange started in 2013. It's one of the earliest exchanges to start in China. So because of regulatory stuff, uh, OK, kind of OKCoin went a little bit on under the radar and we, the company started to uh, restructure itself to become uh, a US-based exchange eventually. I think uh, it, it, it established itself as a US-based exchange somewhere in 2018. And then went on this path of uh, acquiring licensing licenses to operate in the markets it had intentions of operating in. So it's it's a new company uh, from from its early days. It's it's nothing like what it used to be. And so it's a fully licensed exchange in the markets it operates in. Uh, this allows the exchange to have really strong banking uh, relationships, which allows any one of us to come in and fund our account using our bank accounts. Uh, or, or any payment rails that we prefer. Uh, and then you have access to high quality assets uh, that you'd want access to on any exchange. Uh, that includes some of the top top tier assets, but we're also launching new assets uh, quite frequently, especially the last six months uh, from DeFi all the way to this last listing we had uh, last week, which was STX becoming the first US exchange to offer STX uh, to customers. Uh, so that's uh, that's a bit about OKCoin. We we have some unique features on the exchange that make us uh, a little different from some of the other choices customers and retail investors have in the market. One that I think I'm really proud of is uh, the ability for anyone uh, with very little to no knowledge of DeFi to sign up for OKCoin and get access to high yield uh, DeFi protocols, and not in the same level of complexity that existed last fall. Uh, this is you come to OKCoin, you have an account. In a matter of clicks, you can get exposure into these high yield products, and it removes literally removes all that complexity of going in and out of, uh, you know, different exchanges, unknown exchanges, and not knowing what you're getting into. That's awesome. And I'm just wondering what initially got you excited about blockchain domains for OKCoin users. And maybe uh, Brad, maybe if you want to jump in here and. For listeners who maybe aren't familiar with blockchain domains or this is their first time tuning in, if you could just explain real quick what blockchain domains are uh, before Hyder gets into that. Sure, sure. And of course, thanks again, Hyder, for uh, for joining. I know we've uh, 
known each other for quite a while. It's uh, it's been a long journey together, so I'm very excited about this. Um, blockchain domains are uh, like traditional domain names, except for they're not part of the traditional system. They are launched on blockchains. They're stored by users, uh, and you can use them for both payments uh, and for websites. And so, you know, in, in regards to OKCoin, we'd be talking about payments. Awesome. Yeah. So, Hyder, like, what initially got you excited about blockchain domains for OKCoin users? This started when I was uh, uh, working at Blockchain.com, uh, the, the wallet company. Ultimately, even at Blockchain.com, we were looking at ways in which we could simplify people transacting with crypto uh, and transacting mainly how you know two two people around the world can send and receive uh, crypto uh, very seamlessly. We know the world today. It's uh, most wallets, most exchanges have these long string addresses. There's like a slew of problems that that come with onboarding new customers and exposing them to to almost some something that looks like a line of code. I sort of went into this rabbit hole of some of the naming protocols that were looking to simplify this uh, this user experience, and that's how I met Brad and team. I think this was like two two three years ago, uh, and uh, there there were a number of, of protocols we were we were exploring. Of course, there was ENS, and there were a few others. And uh, Unstoppable was really interesting for a number of reasons. The way they were simplifying the UX, I think, was uh, differentiating uh, compared to some of the other uh, protocols. But uh, I think what Brad and team uh, have done really well is uh, part of the job here is not just simplifying the UX and bringing a really compelling product to market. You ultimately have to tell a story that resonates with people, with the ecosystem providers, and also the end customer. And getting people excited and the industry excited is 50% of the job after shipping the product. And I think Brad and team have done that really phenomenally well. So you now, uh, I think Unstoppable is integrated in more wallets than any other protocol. Uh, and and we're, you know, we're seeing that success. Uh, if we By integrating them, ultimately, we're driving interoperability in, in the market. So we don't believe in a world where people are just going to transact on OKCoin. We want them to transact with their uh, or, or seamlessly bring crypto in and out of our platform using other exchange accounts or wallet accounts that they have. And I think have Unstoppable's integration makes it just a lot more seamless. So people can uh, basically use this uh, human readable address and be able to transact much more seamlessly and confidently. This is one of the things that I really appreciated about, about your approach is that you keep talking about interoperability and improving the UX is like, it seems like that's like the, that's like almost, you know, your, your first goal. And, um, I think that that laser focus feels, you know, feels, feels unique. Um, and that's, that's been something that uh, I've gotten from you over the, over the course of months. That's really, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. Thanks. I think for me, uh, Brad, as you know, I, I came in, I'm probably one of the older, uh, folks in crypto. Uh, so I had spent a lot of time working at Microsoft and other companies. You know, I guess like when you're nearing 40 years old, you're older for, for the crypto market or the crypto industry. So I, I take a lot of the best practices that I saw in uh, in my past experiences and I try and bring them into crypto. And there's so much opportunity in crypto, which is why it's such a great place for marketers. It's such a new industry. Marketers, UX folks, designers, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and, and I think that creates the exciting opportunity. 
most of the technologies I see, uh, even when I came into the industry, were designed for crypto natives, people who were, you know, engineers or cryptographers or were like really in these deep communities. Um, and, and for them, the complexity was second nature or is second nature. You know, they can go in, in and out of DeFi and not even, uh, you know, break a sweat. It's, it's pretty easy for them. But the worry I've always had uh, for the crypto industry is we're building all these amazing uh, products or, or we're building uh, this amazing infrastructure, actually. And if we don't do the if we don't do a great job with UX, with design, with storytelling, with marketing, I worry these consumer fintech companies are going to come in, take all the goodness and then repackage it and drive that next wave of big adoption. Uh, getting you know the next billion billion people onboarded on crypto, and you're seeing that uh, with the Cash App, uh, PayPal's now coming in. Revolut supports uh, you know some crypto assets, so you, you're seeing Robinhood's uh, done it for a while now. Um, so I, I think it's something every everyone in the crypto industry should should think about that the competition is not just. In fact, I don't think competition is among us. I think the competition is. How do you make sure that the stuff that you built with hard work over the last, you know, 10 some years, um, you're actually able to reap the benefits? And it would be a bummer if we lost that battle because we didn't invest or didn't think it was important to invest in UX design, marketing, so on and so forth. I think you bring up a really good point. And I know that's something that I've seen you and preach a lot is that when your crypto marketing isn't about marketing to crypto natives like you said it's about to it's about marketing to the masses and non-crypto users at the moment so what are some of the best ways that you found to communicate what okcoin does to the masses as well as um just like the overarching goal and purpose of DeFi? Uh, I'll, I'll answer that question uh, firstly with uh, talking a little bit about product market fit. So when you're a startup, it's natural. You have you know limited amount of resources. You have to prove traction. Um, and it's only natural that you're going to go after the low-hanging fruit and efforts that are low cost uh, of acquisition for new users. Um, this is the reason why we've sort of gone into this conveyor belt of only shipping products and, and writing messaging and, uh, and innovating for crypto natives, because we know that's the immediate total addressable market. We know if we build products for the crypto natives, they'll come because they'll understand it and we please them and so on and so forth. I think that symptom has led us in this trap of just creating products and storytelling to crypto natives. And it's almost uncomfortable um, to to say, hey, we're going to actually create a product that is not for the crypto natives. And, and that's tough because you get this backlash from, from the crypto community oftentimes if you don't create products according to their expectations. Uh, I remember when we were at, uh, when I was at blockchain, uh, every tweet, every effort that we put out there, the response would be when SegWit. Well, the reality is like SegWit is not important or even relevant to most of the world. Um, so I think it's examples like that, that there's a lot of pressure from the existing community to deliver things that they think are important. Uh, but there's th this much bigger opportunity. And there's, there, I think there's a balance to be had here. Um, on the OKCoin okay side, I wish I could tell you we're doing this well. I wish I could tell you we've really cracked it and we know how to uh, 
target and resonate with crypto curious. What I, what I think we can celebrate is the fact that we are all aligned internally, that this is the opportunity we must go after. Uh, we, uh, we believe in it and we're, the intention is there. And now after the intention, you'll start to see some results in terms of how we ship products, how we talk about them, so on and so forth. So I couldn't say that we're great at it today. I think we're at the very start of it. And the example I'd give you on how we're, uh, we're trying to realize this vision is the earn product. So DeFi, such a big wave last fall. Um, everyone, uh, you know, of one of our, uh, any one of our competitors or people in the ecosystem were launching uh, and listing DeFi assets and, and uh, providing access to these high yield products. What we decided to do was we said, look, we're, we're going to simplify this to the lowest common denominator. We're going to curate the protocols that are most popular and we're going to put it in one single web experience where people can just come in and with, within a matter of three to four clicks, they can deposit into these high yield products and look at their earning activity on the same page. Um, so that was our way of, uh, of saying, hey, look, let's take this intention and put it to, put it to practice. From a messaging and storytelling standpoint, uh, the, the thing that I think we think about the most is there's this traditional finan financial market that we're all used to, the banking industry or the stock market, what have you. And most of the rest of the world, the crypto curious or, or, or everyone else, um, they, they understand that language more than they understand the crypto nomenclature. So we try and find parallels to the traditional market and, and try and use that language so that it resonates with the investors who are not familiar with crypto. So that's one of the other angles we're, we're using is try and just, you know, sterilize the language and not use any crypto speak. Um, and of course, we get our, our you know, fair share of backlash from our community, um, but we're, we're managing it. And I think our, our eye on the ball is, hey, how do we onboard uh, to pay attention to Bitcoin and the crypto markets? Right. You can never please everybody. Right. But I think definitely where you are and where OKCoin is, is, you know, you've got your vision. You want to preach to the masses. And I think you guys are definitely on the right track with that. You hit on a lot of different points there about, you know, why the crypto community right now is maybe a little less inclusive than it can be. And as as a crypto curious and not a crypto native myself, I see one of the biggest issues in crypto as being, you know, with the UX, like the UX in crypto is so bad. And I'm just wondering, like, do you have any insight as to why that is the case? And uh, what are some solutions to that? If you look at the first like seven years of crypto development, you look at most of the firms, most of those firms didn't actually even have a product person in there. there engineers, front end and back end engineers writing code and, and shipping product. Uh, if you look at the first version of blockchain.info, uh, you'll you'll see what I mean by that. Uh, they really that was an engineering product. It wasn't a you know product person's product. In fact, when I joined blockchain.com, I think is when uh, they ended up hiring the first product person, and I think that product person lasted about six months uh, and left the company. Uh, so uh, what I would say is there there is this resistance when when crypto evolved. When as we started to mature and we went through 2017, uh, I think there was this realization that we need product people in here to uh, to 
be more thoughtful on how we uh, create these things. And then there was this, uh, you know, this clash of cultures. Uh, I think you saw it at a number of different firms uh, and it's been written about. Um, and then I think that clash fizzled away and the rehiring started to happen. And if I look across the same organizations, there are now bigger teams like product teams and UX teams and design teams. And so you're seeing a different type of product being shipped the last two years than comparatively the, the years before. And this, this resistance and this clash between engineering and product or product and marketing or marketing and sales, it's, it's everywhere. You can go work at a cloud company and you'll see the same thing in the culture. You, I saw it at Microsoft. I saw it at other companies I've worked at. So it's not, it's not um, I think it's, it's more amplified in crypto, but it exists in the rest of the world. Uh, what I think engineers in Silicon Valley oftentimes, for, for most part, there's some companies that are not that way. And I'll give you some examples. But for most part, uh, the engineering-driven organizations in the Valley or in, in the tech industry at large, um, they... I think there's a huge opportunity for them to under, to learn from things that they're uncomfortable with, which is marketing. Marketing is a bad word. You walk into a boardroom as a marketer, you're really going to have to work really hard to get respect. Uh, and the only way to get respect, especially in crypto, is like if you become a growth person and you drive numbers, and then they'll pay attention. And the minute you mention brand, you're the you're you know you're you're going to lose your your, uh, the trust you've established. And I think the opportunity for crypto folks is to study marketing, to study consumer marketing the way it was, or it, it still is. Um, go see what agencies, creative ad agencies are doing on Madison Avenue. Uh, there are these legacy ad agencies, Saatchi and Saatchi, BBDO, McCann Erickson, and then there are smaller creative shops of creative directors, copywriters, and they do phenomenal work. I feel like uh, in, in the Valley, even at Uber, it took them time to go find an, a creative agency to do storytelling. A lot of it was uh, in, in early days was just growth efforts just to get that virality and, and increase in adoption. But there was the, you know, the, the character of the brand was missing for the most part. So I think, my uh, the message I can give your audience is go study what uh, consumer brands did. Look at what Merrill Lynch did uh, for a number. There's a lot to learn there. It's not that uh, the landscape is still the same. The media landscapes changed. The ad targeting's changed. Everything has changed the way. And in fact, there's even more noise. It's more important, I think, now for companies to do really sharp storytelling than it was, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, we really have to fight for attention. Um, and I think that resistant point, re resistance needs to go away. I think uh, people should be open and say, hey, what can I learn from marketing? What can I learn from brand? Can I start a company with a brand in mind from day one? I think there are companies that I could point to that do do that really well. Brex is a great example. Brex is a, uh, a credit card, corporate credit card company that uh, startup that started a few years ago. And they're doing phenomenal with storytelling and investing in, in marketing. And the growth is there to, uh, to show you what, what the results are. Yeah. So I, that's, I think that's the key insight I would share is there's, there's a lot to learn from storytelling. Um, and I don't think there should be resistance. I think there should be openness. Things that make you uncomfortable, 
um, you know, you should go invest your time in. And there's another marketing rule that's aligned to this, which is great marketing often makes you uncomfortable at first glance. And if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, it's probably not great marketing. It's probably just an iteration of your thought and, and that doesn't work. As a content marketer, my music to my ears. And uh, as I'm still kind of learning more about how to storytell in this industry, do you have any tips? Like what would you tell somebody who is new to the crypto world um, about what crypto is and um, like what, what's that story that you would spin for them to get them interested and excited about crypto? Oh, this is, you know, that, that probably is a, a, a podcast on its own. I think the most compelling piece that helps get that initial attention is we, we've known our financial system as this traditional financial system that as, as it stands today. There's a new alternative financial system being created, one that is web first or internet first. And the second piece I try to tell people when I'm talking about this is anytime you see a, you know, a wave of phenomenal engineers and, and talent go towards an industry, you should pay attention to it. So th those are the two things I, I usually um, use as hooks to, to talk about crypto with friends and family who, who become curious. The, the curiosity also comes and goes in waves. Of course, in 2017, everyone was and their, and their family were talking about crypto. And then it kind of fizzled away and now it's back again, uh, you know, it's a uh, topic of conversation during holidays and so on and so forth. I, I still have friends, they'll text me, they'll say, hey, I bought $5,000 worth of Bitcoin, it's now $9,000. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, there, there are these waves. I think what's important from a storytelling standpoint is uh, how can we in the crypto industry uh, build responsible investing and trading behaviors for people who are coming in so they don't burn out. Uh, there's this, you know, I think the best way to bring new people in is through Bitcoin, not through another asset, Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, and, and showing them how to dollar cost average over a period of time. So if you have $10,000 to invest, not uh, advising them to not put in 10K right out of the gate, uh, open a position, uh, maybe it's 500 bucks, maybe it's $1,000. And as price goes up and down, you dollar cost average your position over a period of time. And that helps you control sort of how much risk you're, you're being exposed to from a pricing standpoint. Uh, so, so I think those, some of those fundamentals are really important, but ultimately how can we help people understand that uh, you should have your portfolio, 80% of your portfolio allocated in what we can call lower risk crypto assets, I would consider Bitcoin and Ethereum lower risk assets and, you know, put 80% of your, your allocation there and then have 10 to 20% that you want to play with to explore other cryptos. Uh, but just know that there is high risk, like high risk, high reward, but these things go up and down and there's a lot of market volatility. So that's how I uh, try and uh, talk to at least, you know, just in very human speak with my friends and family. How about you? How do you guys talk about this? Well, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's, there's this problem around, uh, around simplification. And so we're mostly just trying to think like, what would you, you know, if you have a task, like I want to do X, I want to, uh, whatever your task is in crypto that, uh, the crypto parts that would otherwise not make sense to you probably shouldn't be there. 
So if there's going to be some crazy transaction hashes um, that are not necessary for doing the thing, they might be necessary for verifying the thing, but not necessary for doing the thing, you would hide it. Or if there's a click that you can remove, it should be removed. The thing doesn't need to be called the thing that the blockchain would call it. It can be called the thing that the user would call it. If, so it's, it's mostly about, uh, about labeling. And I think you're, you're framing around like, you know, going and looking at, you know, traditional, traditional industry consumer marketing uh, is good because uh, this stuff is really good elsewhere. So I think the, the crypto community is kind of uniquely immature in this. And I don't, I don't blame us. You know, I think this, you know, new industry, new, new baseline, but um, it's the, it's the problem, I think for new customers and it's also for new crypto customers and new crypto pe- people coming into crypto, but it's also the opportunity. So um, reduce the clicks, change the labels to things that make sense to people hide all the transaction hashes and the other, the other crazy crypto stuff, things like that. I agree. I, I think, uh, uh, let's just think about, you know, the traditional banking rails, how many of consumers actually know anything beyond, you know, wire and swift codes, mm-hmm. you know, most, most people don't know all the back stuff and they don't really care. They don't really care. They frankly don't even care about ACH and, and wire and swift. They just want to be able to send money and receive money and pay very low to no fees and faster settlement. So I think there's there's a lot to learn uh, from the traditional banking industry. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for maybe any listeners that are listening to this and oh, and they want to get into the space, are there any other barriers to entry for the quote unquote normal users or the crypto curious instead of the crypto natives to start getting into the space? I think the barrier really is education. I think we're all uh, doing a great, uh, putting in a lot of effort in education. Uh, if you look across, you know, most of the major crypto platforms, everyone now has sort of a content uh, or educational portal. Um, I think that's the biggest barrier to entry is how can we continue to simplify our education and seed it in the right places? Oftentimes a consumer might not go to your blog or your educational portal. They want the information right when they're in the where, when they're in the flow of completing a task. I think that's the biggest barrier to entry is how can we continue to serve this information, simplify it, but do it in the at the right place at the right time, uh, so that it builds more confidence and ultimately it's a it's a net positive experience for the newcomer. Uh, because what we don't want is a lot of people coming in and then losing their shirt because they didn't know the principles and the foundations that they needed to know to build their portfolio smartly. Yeah. So I think that's, that, that is what I would consider the biggest uh, pain point. The other is once you've onboarded, of course, a great example is uh, the send and receive function we were talking about uh, and what unstoppable is doing really well. Um, uh, imagine if you have to send some crypto to your mom or to one of your uh, family members who are elderly and you have to explain to them that they have to go into their crypto app and then copy this long string of code. Uh, you can imagine there could be easily uh, a copy-paste error or trying to uh, teach them how to copy a QR code and then put it in a QR field. I mean, there's there's just so much that could go wrong there. So I think those are some of the barriers to entry after people have onboarded is how do you uh, how do you extract the utility out of these experiences? And I think that's where Unstoppable comes in 
being able to send to Brad Dog Crypto uh, is the easiest thing I would do, uh, or I'll be able to do in terms of transacting with Brad. Right? I'll, I'll never forget that. So, so I think that's uh, those are the two points I think are, are the biggest barrier to entries. Exactly what makes me so excited about our integration with OKCoin is that users will now be able to type in Brad.crypto or Hyder.crypto and send money that way instead of, you know, this long string of letters and numbers that can easily uh, get copied wrong or typed wrong or whatever the case. So, Hyder, I know another thing that you've talked about before is how partnerships are so hard to form in the crypto space. Um, I'd love some insight that you have into why that might be the case? Um, partnerships are hard because there's the sentiment in most engineering driven organizations that uh, you want to build internally. Uh, anything new, the sentiment typically is, hey, we can build this ourselves. And most of the time, yes, they're competing priorities. So what happens is your innovation pipeline just gets slower and slower and slower over a period of time because you don't have enough engineering and product resources. So there's this one resistance, resistant point, uh, which is uh, your engineering teams or head of engineering or CTO or what have you, uh, you know, they'll say, hey, look, we, we like what, what this is, but I think we want to build it internally. And that just conversation fizzles away. It never gets built internally or that innovation doesn't come to the, to the platform. So I think that's one reason why partnerships that require integrations are typically tough. The second is there's this, um, there's this uh, sort of security is really important to everyone in crypto. So oftentimes when you're working with a third party or a partner, um, the, the vetting is usually, hey, is this secure enough? Are we exposing our users to some, some level of risk? So I think that's another resistance point uh, that, that uh, makes partnerships tougher uh, in organizations. And I think the third thing is just consensus. I think that's not just uh, a crypto thing. I think it's if you work at PayPal or you work at any traditional uh, fintech company, you'll see this is, you know, there are different groups. Every group has their own agenda and their own motivations. And oftentimes when you're anything above 100 people, it's so tough to, to build consensus. It's the, the easiest thing to do is when you're a small team and you can just influence change. Anytime you then have a bigger team, then it's, you have to convince like five, six different people. And even if you got them convinced, they have their own priorities. And then you got to make sure that it fits their priorities and it benefits their goals. So that's what, those are the three things that I think make partnerships really, really tough. At OKCoin, it's, it's, um, we have a culture of, you know, complete permission. Uh, it's a really, one of the reasons why I came to OKCoin was uh, the culture. So there is a lot of appetite for experimentation and we understand that there is value in building products internally. And when we can do that and we can achieve it, we go do it. But we're also very realistic that uh, there might be a product, say a naming protocol uh, that we could build internally, but to manage it and to continue to innovate on it is almost impossible unless we like really invested a lot of time and money. So I think that's how we think about our decisions is, uh, a great example is the Earn product. We knew we could do that internally. We could do it fast, so we did it ourselves. In the case of Unstoppable Domains, it's clear like that's a product on its own. Unstoppable has been working on this problem for a number of years. 
uh, it's going to take us a long time to build something like that internally. And then we have to have resources to, to manage the development of that product uh, over a period of time. So oftentimes, I think what's a better equation is you go find a trusted partner and a team that you can rely on. And there's a solid relationship uh, and the, and the, uh, the intentions align. And then you expose your, your customers to that, to that innovation and, and see the feedback. And that allows uh, my advice for any big company, uh, crypto company is uh, you rather go with that model because if your intention long-term is to still build it internally, that's a better path because you at least prove out if there's actual demand for that, uh, for that experience. And if there is, then you can think about, Hey, does it make sense for us to, uh, to invest in this or not? And a lot of com- companies do do that. I recall, uh, there was a time where, um, a lot of wallets were using third parties to do crypto to crypto conversions. And then eventually when that became really popular, most of the companies started to build their own stuff and got rid of, uh, you know, a bunch of companies like Coinify, Shapeshift, what have you. So um, I think that model uh, tends to work out better because you bring, you're able to delight people much faster than that long engineering cycle that, uh, that you fall in the risk. To sort of wrap up here, tell people a little bit about some of the exciting launches, initiatives, partnerships, integrations that OKCoin came out with last year in 2020, and also what you guys have in store for this upcoming year. Uh, I think the most exciting uh, thing we launched uh, that's exciting for the customers ultimately is is the earn feature. Uh, You now don't just have to trade crypto. You can trade crypto on OKCoin. You can build your portfolio on OKCoin. So if you look a year back, we were a very uh, traditional exchange. You come in, uh, you have the exchange environment, you have trading view, you can do charting, you have like seven different types of uh, order types. It was really a, a product designed for traders. And in the last eight to nine months, what we started to do was uh, build a, a, a section in our product that allows people to manage and build a portfolio over a period of time. So you can now like look at your assets, do allocations, do dollar cost averaging, do recurring buys, so on and so forth. And it's a nice, easy view where you can just look at all the assets in your portfolio and their growth and, and manage their growth. So now on OKCoin, you can go from being a retail investor, just looking to build a portfolio responsibly over a period of time, to then switching and saying, I'm ready to be a trader. And I want to leverage all these different levers you have to, to, for me to profit from trading. So that seamless sort of switch is fairly unique to us. And then, of course, the third feature is earn. So if you have a portfolio, it doesn't just have to sit there. Of course, the price of cryptos will go, continues to, if it continues to go up, that's great. Uh, but we now have this earn feature where you could put your crypto to work for you uh, by being exposed to all these DeFi high yield uh, products. And it's not, our earn feature actually is unique because it has these DeFi protocols, but with STX, STX is the first asset where you can uh, stake or stack STX and earn Bitcoin as a reward, which is really unique. So I think you're going to start to see more and more diversity uh, of, of assets on the, on the earn side. What we're looking forward to, and I'll, I'll spill the beans here, I'll probably get in trouble for this, uh, is we are building a pretty uh, you know, robust marketing function. Uh, we have had 
more than 10x growth in our customers in the last six months. So our, our marketing machine is working really, really well. But we don't want to just preach about the storytelling thing uh, and not do it ourselves. So what you can expect from OKCoin is a completely new outfit. We're going to look and feel very different in a few months. Um, you know, for marketers, this is this uh, uh, this is called a rebrand exercise. So we're going to rebrand OKCoin. Uh, we're not changing the name here. We're just going to change the way it looks, and we're going to modernize uh, the look and feel of the company so that when you come into OKCoin, you have that sense of delight. Uh, we all love uh, beautiful experiences, and that's the the thing that we're most excited about is bringing that that uh, that rebranded experience to OKCoin. So it looks nothing like any other crypto platform or any other crypto company. Uh, and and uh, yeah. That's excited. awesome. I can't wait to see what for the Unstoppable exclusive on the upcoming changes to OKCoin. Really appreciate that. <laughs> so um, in this next segment, what I want to do, Hyder, is I have gone through your Twitter account and dug up some old tweets that I find to be interesting. And I would just like to talk to you about it, let you explain what you meant by it. Before we do that, Brad, did you have any other questions for Hyder? No, I mean, I'm excited to, I'm excited to see this. All right. All right. So here we go. This first tweet, actually, Hyder, you've sort of touched upon already, but back on December 17th, 2020, you tweeted, Trade with care, folks. Don't let the FOMO get the best of you. While there is a lot more upside we all see in the valuation of Bitcoin, anyone buying at these levels should anticipate holding and riding the volatility. If you are new to crypto, start with a small position first. So just to jog our memory, it, was there something that happened back on December 17th that led you to tweet this? I think it was really the dramatic price run-up. Any, anything that runs up that fast my my advice to all investors is you know just be cautious i was still buying at that level but i wasn't placing really large orders so that's uh, i think i i was personally just channeling what i was telling myself which is hey you know don't don't ride the fomo wave there's still opportunity to dollar cost average at these levels and and that was a great call because from december 17th i think the price I think it was like above twenty thousand, and now we're you know we're almost close to double that, right? Uh, so it's it's really just reminding people: don't just FOMO, be very careful. Uh, there's a there's a smarter way to think about this, uh, which is dollar cost average. Don't don't put all you know don't put all of it at once and try and uh, um, try and uh, you know ride the ride the wave because it can go in either direction. All right, next tweet. On November 4th, we're going backwards chronologically. On November 14th, 2020, you tweeted, on one hand, it is great to see Cash App and PayPal support Bitcoin purchases. It helps scale the overall adoption of crypto among newcomers. What's hard to watch is the gargantuan amounts of fees, 2% average, they are charging customers. There are better options, people. All right, so tell the people what the better options are. (laughs) Look, this is not about just working at OKCoin. Okay we we do have some of the lowest fees in the industry. It's that I see those companies really, really being opportunistic. Uh, they're gonna they have the consumer trust, so naturally they're gonna see a huge wave of adoption through their apps. And I think two percent is, if you look at some of the ecosystem providers, you know there's a lot of room for you to uh, profit while also making it cheaper for people to uh, to transact. And to purchase uh, crypto, so I, I find that uh, I think at the scale at which Cash App is and PayPal 
currently is, I think they have a lot more room uh, to give back to the users and, and lower their fees. Got it. All right, next tweet. Now we're going all the way back. August 13th, 2020, you said, consensus kills creativity. Execute methodically and strategically. Otherwise, you'll end up with mediocrity every time. Want to just talk more about that? I, I Yeah, I think consensus does kill creativity. It's important to get people's feedback, but I think there should only be two to three people or max two people making a decision. Uh, people who are ultimately accountable for that project or that initiative or what have you. Because when you have too many cooks in the kitchen, you end up with a soup. Uh, so I think it's it's really important uh, that consensus is only leveraged as a means to gather feedback and make sure that you've you've checked all the boxes. And if there's any valid feedback, that that's your opportunity to uh, to address it. Uh, but it's not; it shouldn't be a mechanism to to essentially shape the the final outcome. Uh, because if you start incorporating all the feedback, two things will happen: you will ne- you'll never get to the ship date. And two, like I said, it will just be a brand soup. It'll be super feature heavy. Uh, and oftentimes the most simple things uh, are the ones that succeed. I love it. It's what's that saying? Paralysis by analysis. It's like if you overthink it too much, overanalyze it too much, then you're just paralyzed. You'll never get anything done, right? There's this uh, great example I, I've given in other podcasts uh, about Merrill Lynch. It's not so much about consensus. It's about data. So we're all very data driven. We have to be. Um, but there's there's pros and cons to that. I think uh, the way I uh, try and uh, manage our efforts uh, at OKCoin is 80% of the thinking should be data, 20% should be uh, intuition and and emotion. And I want to give you this example that I've given before uh, is the Merrill Lynch example. So there, Merrill Lynch was struggling back in 60s, 70s, uh, after the Great Depression. They weren't able to convince enough Americans to go invest in the stock market. So they were trying a bunch of different research. They were doing focus groups, so on and so forth, and putting out a bunch of different campaigns in the market and nothing was working for them. Nothing was moving the needle for them. And then um, someone in their staff, a junior staffer, came, basically left a, a line scribbled up on a, on a piece of paper for uh, the advertising manager uh, for Merrill Lynch. And the line was, we are bullish on America. There was no research behind that line. There was no data, there was no testing. And the, the marketing team at Merrill Lynch decided to run that line. And it was so successful that it ultimately became their flagship line. I think a version of that is still being used by Merrill Lynch. Uh, so it just shows you that uh, as a marketer, you should look at data, uh, but don't just look at data. You have to also... You, ha- you also have to be able to do some storytelling and emotional storytelling. A great example is Nike and Colin Kaepernick or Nike in general. Nike doesn't really talk about their shoes. They talk about the culture uh, and that's what makes them such a successful brand. Um, and I think that I'd like to see that type of work in, in crypto is how can we not talk about our products? How can we talk about the change? And we do it really, really well and in a way that inspires the rest of the For world. For sure, yeah, I think that's that's our goal here at Unstoppable Domains as well is is to make make that happen. All right, last tweet hider that I want to pull up, and I, I this is from August fifteenth, twenty twenty. I think the timestamp is important. This was in the summer, but you tweeted productivity or even mental health hack: take cold showers two to three times a day. Do you actually do this? 
Uh, I stopped doing it. <laughs> it's a good reminder. I should be doing it. It's harder to do in the winter. Uh, it's easier to do it in the summer. Um, I, it, it's really helped me. The cold shower thing really, really helped me. I, you know, who likes to wake up early in the morning? Uh, I've been working uh, pretty crazy hours. We we have teams in Hong Kong and Beijing. So what I found really helped me sort of get my brain going without just hammering away coffee all day was just throwing myself under a cold shower and it would wake me up. I actually, my happiness level uh, would also be, you know, more uh, better uh, in those days. So it's something to do with, with the cold shower it just wakes you up. It gets you energetic and you feel a little more euphoric than, than otherwise. I think the hot shower just makes you super complacent and, <laughs> and and lazy in a way all right well i'll take your word for it maybe i'll give it a try once it gets warmer here i'm based in chicago so i can't even think about taking a cold shower right now it's like 20 degrees outside uh well, <laughs> well thanks so much Hyder, for being here before you go um before you go tell people where they can find you get in touch with you if they want to connect with you personally and also where they can learn more about okcoin so to learn about OKCoin, is, it's very simple, okcoin.com. Once you come in and sign up for OKCoin, we have some great onboarding uh, that we have in place that uh, that helps you as a newcomer to be educated on on the right things so you're, not, uh, you're avoiding reckless decisions. Or if you're a crypto native, uh, we will onboard you very quickly and get you to the more important things. So the best place to learn about OKCoin is okcoin.com. And then... Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, uh, I try to be active on Twitter. Uh, and my handle is HeiderSF, H-A-I-D-E-R-S-F. Awesome. We will include that in our show notes so it's easy for people to find. And clearly, you've got some pretty good Twitter content. So everybody go follow Hyder on Twitter. Uh, go check out OKCoin. Go sign up there. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Hyder, again for being here. Thanks to my co-host, Brad, for being here. And we will be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something I've said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, download the podcast, and share this episode on social media with your network. This helps other people find us. And remember... The fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. We can continue the conversation on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, or ideas to me at Matthew E. Gould. We look forward to chatting with you, and thanks again for listening.